Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In 2020, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation raked in tens of millions of dollars from personal and corporate supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement in the demonstrations after the murder of George Floyd in police custody. Since that time, many have wondered where all that money went. Today's guest, Andrew Kerr of the Washington Examiner, was one of them. And when he went digging for federally mandated disclosures from the group, he couldn't find them. Now he has only more questions, and Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation is finding itself in the crosshairs of even ideologically friendly regulators. Uh, Andrew, before we get into your investigations of uh, BLM Global Network Foundation, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to the Examiner? Sure, yeah. Um, Previously, I was—and thanks for having me on the show, Mike. Um, Yeah, previously I was with the Daily Caller News Foundation as an investigative reporter um, for about four years, starting uh, in—I just started at the Examiner in December— um, before working at, uh, the daily caller, I was, I actually worked in the tech world. Um, I studied computer science in college. Um, it really wasn't my jam. Uh, and I decided to do a complete 180 into investigative journalism, uh, particularly, you know, because I think I bring a unique skill set, you know, kind of data focused skill set to the industry. And also there's, uh, um, there's, a lot of opportunity, I'll put it that way, for, for good investigative reporting and conservative media, um, you know, right of center. Yeah, there's an old, there, there's an old, a lot of the critics of conservative media say that conservative media makes too many uh, pundits and not enough reporters, but I mean, I mean that is increasingly not true, in, in my opinion. <laughs> right, I think over the past couple of years, there's been uh, a great deal of improvement there, um, but that was, you know, kind of the... the yeah, I thought that. I it, could, yeah, uh, it was it was the old it was the old saw the old yeah. sort of jibe. So let's let's talk about some of the journalism that you did. Um, let's kind of start at the beginning. Who are the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, uh, and and what had you so interested in their finances as a topic of investigative reporting? Well, yeah, I mean, they um, uh, Black Lives Matter was like the movement in 2020 if i want to if i in my opinion there's three big stories in 2020 there was the uh, covid outbreak the pandemic uh, the 2020 election and black lives matter i mean it it was the dominant story yeah i mean march. it was the one it was the one sort of big event after march after the the initial outbreak of covid that wasn't necessarily directly related to the election or the pandemic Mm-hmm. Because so much got canceled and the lockdowns are so extensive. Right. So being such a dominant, you know, storyline and also, I mean, they've raised a huge sum of money. Uh, but there's also been allegations from local Black Lives Matter activists and chapters for years that the national group does nothing but show up on the scene uninvited, soak up all the attention and the money and then leave without providing any support to the activists that are on the ground. So the National BLM uh, organization, the official name is Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. So like when I'm saying BLM or Black Lives Matter, I'm referring to that entity specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're referring specifically to the, the Global Network Foundation 
yeah. not to any other group, to any local organization, or to the movement at to the extent the movement as a whole is a thing. We're not referring to that, right? But this organization got all the funding, most of the money, all the corporate donations, uh, this, this massive windfall of cash, ninety million in, in uh, twenty twenty, from what they announced, um, and so. Charities, they operate or they, they report their finances is usually about two years after the fact. So um, I knew that their, their reporting for 2020, which is when they received this windfall of cash, was due in uh, mid-November of last year. And that deadline came and went. And, you know, there could be a reasonable explanation why there could be delays, you know, the document uploading and whatnot. So Yeah, it got, it got me, it, like... As I recall, the IRS office that handles all that is somewhere in Utah, and they can like scan. They some sometimes right. people send them in on paper, and they're optically scanned, and they have to be stamped, and all sorts of federal bureaucratic nonsense. Right. So you know, just um, and also, I started at the Washington Examiner in mid December. So you know, uh, just kind of like giving them the kind of like a a, a fair like like leeway uh, that there could be a delay. So in uh, uh, in January, I, I started reaching out. Um, if you email. Uh, a charity and ask for their 990s, they are required by law to give it to you within 30 days, but they just weren't responding. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, one of my colleagues uh, is based in California where they, the very close to the address that they listed. In right. And, 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 and that's, and that's one of the things that you guys found is that the address that they had listed on their 2019 tax return, not only were they no longer there, the people who were there said that they had never been there. Right, a security guard. And we know that we went to the right place because the security guard added to my colleague that we are constantly getting packages for BLM that we have to return back to sender. So <laughs> uh, when, yeah, when you start to have that going on, and then really what, what really started this, though, was um, I'm sure that your listeners recall back in May of, uh, of 2021, uh, BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors came under uh an intense round of scrutiny due to her real estate purchases. Uh, Patrice Cullors is a avowed, you know, self-declared Marxist. And yet after BLM got this windfall of cash in 2020, uh, the New York Post reports that, you know, she started scooping up all these houses across the country, uh, spent about $3.4 million in real estate uh, on, on four homes. Uh, so she resigned in May amid, you know, allegations and uh, that you know, she may have pilfered the charity's funds to purchase those homes. There are local Black Lives Matter activists that were demanding investigations. BLM claimed that none of our charitable funds went you know, to pay for any of these homes and that we haven't paid uh, Patrice Cullors since uh, 2019. Um, but when Cullors left, she said that I'm going to appoint two uh, activists to take over as you know interim you know senior directors to lead BLM into a brighter future, and every news outlet under the sun reported that these two people were going to take over BLM. Well, it turns out that in September, a few months later, these two uh, people that were supposed to take over BLM they issue a press release saying that we never took the job, we aren't going to take the job because so, we so they were so they were so they were BLM. so the so the outgoing leader. Patrice Cullors names these two people to be like, you're in charge. Well, basically you're in charge now. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, the new people come out and say, actually, no, we're, we're, we were never in charge. We're not in charge. We're not taking the job. Exactly. Yes. And nobody noticed it again. Every news outlet under the sun repeat, uh, reported 
that Patrice College was leaving and that these two people were going to take over. But everybody missed uh, that in September, the two replacements are like, uh, no, we, we couldn't come to an agreement and we're not taking the job. I reached out to those two, uh, um, the two replacement executives. I'm like, hey, who's in control of BLM now that you guys you know, didn't take the job? And they say, we don't know. They never gave us any information. So they're so not who, providing their 990s. They won't. Who, they have have had their own leader since since May of last year. And you know, when I reach out to them, I'm like, guys, who's been in charge of your charity and your 60 million bankroll for the past eight months? And they still haven't provided an answer to that. So it's so so you so you guys have in in your investigation thus far, you have no conclusive evidence of who runs this multi-million dollar charitable organization. So um, BLM is registered with a number of states that they're, and now they're out of compliance in a number of states. Well, we can see from their registration at the time that they listed three board members. So one is Patrice Cullors, who as of May yeah, says- Yeah, the, former, the, former, the former leader who has ostensibly stepped aside. The two remaining uh, board members is a guy named Shalomia Bowers, who used to go by Christian Bowers, who runs a consulting firm that is closely tied with a number of activist organizations that Colors has ran before, and he usually serves as the treasurer for like all of her, all of her groups. Uh, and then this, the other one is this guy named Raymond Howard, who is based in Dayton, Ohio, that has done uh, made a concerted effort to conceal the fact that he is one of BLM's two known board members. Uh, after I started reaching out to BLM and asking specific questions. Uh, Raymond Howard started, you know, concealing his ties to LinkedIn, uh, to, to BLM on his LinkedIn account um, and a consulting firm that's linked to Raymond Howard's sister that claimed on its website that it did work with BLM, uh, uh, modified its website to remove the reference to BLM after I started asking questions. So when you have, you know, we only know of two, two people that are, you know, on the board of directors for BLM. Right. And, and one of one, them it's is one. It's one colors associate and one person who is apparently uninterested and very well, uninterested in being connected and interested in potentially concealing any connection. Right. That's extremely bizarre behavior for him to like start modifying his his social media profiles and modifying websites connected to his sister's consulting firm. I mean, I mean, and usually for whatever you may think politically or ideologically. You know, in terms of its social presence, Black Lives Matter was an extremely socially, you know, in, in the in the elite culture, extremely favorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I mean, you know, I am recording this a couple blocks away from Black Lives Matter Plaza, uh, the, the intersection in Washington, D.C. that the mayor renamed. Um, so to. Con- again, to take actions to hide your connection to it as a presumably a progressive activist nonprofit executive you know nonprofit executive is extremely unusual yeah it is um legitimate charities you can go to their website and within seconds you can find out at the, like the very least you know who the who the leaders are I mean, if, legitimate- if you're an, if you're an advocacy group you will have a spokesperson Right. will say such a, you know, so-and-so spoke on behalf of name of place. Mm-hmm. You'll have, uh, you know, names of people associated with the organization that are in control of the organization. 
most legitimate charities will will put up you know information about their finances. You know, the, here are our form nine nineties. And as part of your reporting, you spoke to a number of watch, uh, independent watchdog uh, watchdog people in in the charitable sector, and they also agreed that this was highly unusual. Right. Yeah. And these aren't you know like conservative browbeaters. Uh, the you know these are legitimate. Um, uh, uh, yeah, these are not non-ideological watchdog organizations. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, uh, this behavior from BLM, just, uh, uh, you know, not answering basic questions about its structure, uh, claiming, I mean, this is a $60 million organization. And after we, we went to their, their Los Angeles address and nobody was home, the only thing that BLM provided me was that, oh, we don't have a permanent address anymore and we'll mail you are 990, which they haven't done yet. Um, I mean, just think about that. 60 million in the bank, they said, as of at the end of 2020, and they can't, they don't even have a permanent address that you can go to to request documents they are legally required to provide upon request. Like, that just doesn't pass the smell test. That Them not disclosing who has been in charge of the charity for the past eight months doesn't pass the smell test. BLM's bylaws and, and you're not the state, And you're not the only, and you're not the only person to suggest, you know, you and these independent watchdog guys aren't the only people who have thought that this doesn't pass the smell test. Their BLM Global Network Foundation is now being scrutinized by state officials, yes? Right, yeah. Um, there's about 40 states across the country that require charities to register with them in some way, shape, or form before they solicit funds from their citizens. And BLM is out of compliance in nine or ten states. Um, and the liberal states of Washington and California have explicitly notified BLM to stop soliciting funds from citizens of our states until you disclose your, your 2020 finances. Colorado is another state that said that the, their charity registration has been expired since November 16th of last year, and it says explicitly, do, you know, don't solicit contributions in this state. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, th- these are <laughs> these are liberal states, especially uh, yeah, Washington. This isn't this uh, isn't this isn't a Republican ideological crusade. These are Democratic officials in Democratic states that are saying, you are not complying with our law, you must get into compliance. Exactly. California said, we will hold the leaders of BLM personally liable if you don't fork over information about your finances within the next 60 days. And the letter also explicitly stated, stop fundraising. So in reaction to this, BLM on last Wednesday um, uh, announced that they were shutting down all their online fundraising. Uh, and they had, they had previously been going through ActBlue. Right. Uh, and on Friday, last Friday, they uh, shut down their, or they deactivated their, their ActBlue fundraising pages. So that is, uh, again, this was like the dominant, you know, most prolific charity in 2020. And it's voluntarily shut down its ability to raise funds while it engages compliance counsel to deal with these threats from liberal states regarding its complete lack of transparency surrounding its the tens of millions of dollars that it raised in, in 2020. That's extraordinary, in my opinion. I'm biased because I've, I've been, you know, this is kind of like, right, yeah, yeah, you're, you know, long, long-standing critic, always, you know, skeptical of, of their, you know, policy agenda, of their advocacy ideology. But again, when the state of California goes to a liberal organization and says, you have to stop fundraising in the state of California until you fix this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, that's not an ideological vendetta. That's a, you messed up. 
Right. I, I think that the, the lack of transparency is so egregious. You know, the, the, the wrong address, the non-disclosure of like who's even controlling the, the charity's funds. I, I think that kind of California was kind of, you know, their hand was forced that they, you know, no, I doubt that they would let any other charity operate, you know, with such little scrutiny. So I think that they were, you know, kind of forced to, to send this public notice to BLM and say, hey, you guys need to write your ship like right away. And, and so, like, what, do, what, what are we not able to see? You know, you and I know what a 990 shows. But for our listeners, what, by making it incredibly difficult to obtain their tax return and by not making these required disclosures to states, what are people not able to scrutinize? What are people not able to see? Yeah, so a, a Form 990 is essentially a charity's public... Uh, a tax return. And so what it provides is a kind of a top level view of the organization's uh, uh, financial activities for the year. So you can see, you know, how many employees they had, uh, what they're paying their top executives, what their highest paid employees were making, what contractors they, uh, how much they've been paying contractors, uh, any of their highly paid contractors would, they'd have to disclose that. And recall, there's a number of contracting firms that are closely linked to or being per- run personally by high-ranking members of BLM. So that's a, like, a key piece of information that I would like to see. We can also see how much that they granted to other groups. BLM claims that they have distributed uh, $500,000 grants to local BLM chapters across the, the, the country. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to actually show it. And their Form 990s would actually show that if they actually followed through on those promises in 2020. You can also see how much they've been paying in um, uh, uh, you know, compliance fees, um, and uh, yeah, you get the top, you get the top space. line, yeah, the top line breakdown of of expenses, uh, and also the top line breakdown in revenues. How much of it comes, you know, they it, they don't you don't have to publicly disclose your donors, but you do have to say we received this much in contributions, we received this much in program service revenue. You know, right? There was a lawsuit that went in their favor or something, and 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 any money they, at least the aggregate quantity of any money they got from government, yeah. Um, on top of that, though, it's not just the 990s, but a lot of these states, such as California, is actually one of the best states to go to to get information on charities. California and a few other states around the country require charities to provide their uh, audited financial statements, which provides another like layer of granularity uh, into a charity's finances through those audited financial statements that you know, it's just, a, just more information on their finances. 2020 is the year that BLM got this huge you know, influx of cash. And shortly afterwards, they, they started facing allegations of uh, financial impropriety from a number of local chapters and also due to its co-founders' uh, uh, real estate purchases. So that year is I've been I've been itching for a very long time to review. Right. Yeah. No, because it's because as, as you mentioned, as you mentioned earlier, the way that the, these things time, if you're on a calendar year, which. I guess we know that BLM Global Network Foundation yeah. uses calendar year. Yeah, if, if you're on a calendar year, it's like so. Calendar year 2020 is technically due sometime in early 2021, but you get an automatic extension to November that practically everyone takes. So I, mean, I we have the the we have that extension letter. So I, we know for sure that BLM uh, got an extension to November 15th last year. Yeah. So so they get you know it's extended to November. Uh, November 2021, you know, figure a month or two for administrative processing because federal government 
and then you know now you should be able to know and apparently they haven't uh they haven't been as forthcoming as they're obligated to be right and so uh now that you get all these legal threats from all these these states across the country you know including blue states um you the it sort of begs the question like the easy thing for BLM to do would just be to release their their these documents that they're required to to release upon request. So why haven't they? Why aren't they answering any basic questions about its organizational structure? Is there something that they don't want out there? Um, it seems kind of a, a kind of a foolish strategy to you know. I mean, they they have compliance counsel that they've that they've listed. I've tried calling them and they they won't answer my questions. They referred me to their attorney. Um, so. You know, it's just a. It's all. It's all very strange that. Um, yeah, you know, it's we're, it's not something. It's not something. You know, if there were something that is not that is not as it is supposed to be, they can't hide it forever. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, I guess I think we've hit all the important bits of this of this story so far. It is, of course, still a developing story. Uh, keep an eye on the Washington Examiner. I'm sure for more developments. Uh, is there anything that we've we've missed in our in our discussion, or anything else that you'd like to plug? So, um, uh, yeah, there's 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 a lot of different threads to this story that you know I'm still actively working on, and and one of the uh, interesting bits is the, all the corporate donations that Black Lives Matter got. So after the George Floyd killing uh, in May of uh, 2020, you know within days and weeks, uh, a number of huge corporations announced six figure donations to. Uh, and sometimes seven-figure seven donations to, to Black Lives Matter. So I've reached out to a lot of those corporations and asked them, like, hey, what do you guys think uh, like, uh, about all this? You know, BLM is kind of imploding in real time right in front of us, and they're facing all these legal threats from, from these blue states. Like, did you actually donate to them? You said you would, but, you know, did you actually follow through on that? Uh, have you checked with them to make sure that, you, that they have used your funds for charitable purposes, and are you still going to support this organization that claims to be the face of this movement that you support? Are you still going to support the organization? Mm-hmm. Um, and no answers yet, um, <laughs> of course. No, but, yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, also, just you know, why I'm interested in this on a personal level is because there's, and I, you know, regardless of your opinions on on the Black Lives Matter movement. A lot of people around the country, tens of thousands, you know, perhaps millions of people donated to this to this organization because they didn't like the scenes that they were seeing on their television with, you know, police officers on on black people's necks. I mean, I mean a, a, a jury of his peers found Derek Chauvin guilty of murder. Right. So a lot of good people saw that they didn't like it and they wanted to, you know, try to make a difference. And they gave their hard earned money to this organization, Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter has a an obligation, has a duty to to disclose to these people what they did with their money. It's not really clear what they've done with with the money. Uh, one of the biggest things that we that we know they've done, and this is something that I report at the the Examiner, is that uh, they they helped Black Lives Matter Canada uh, purchase an eight point one million dollar mansion. In Toronto, that's now being used as an out as a as an art studio, like art house for a number of you know black artists in the Toronto area. It's equivalent to about six point four million U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, local Canadian press in July twenty twenty one, when this purchase was made, reported that uh, the uh, Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation provided the bulk of the funding for 
um, for BLM Canada's purchase of this art house. And two uh, key members, board members of BLM Canada have very close ties to Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. One of them is Janaya Khan, who is Patrice Cullors, the, co- the disgraced co-founder, right. her wife. Um, and then the other one is, her name is Sandy Hudson. And Sandy Hudson claims to sit on the global strat- strategy table for BLM Global Network Foundation. It's also worth noting that Sandy Hudson was accused by her former employer a few years back, the uh, University of Toronto Student Union, of pilfering $250,000 from his coffers by filing false overtime uh, work payment requests. Um, that lawsuit was settled. And the, yeah, those so parties, set, settled, settled. Nobody, nobody claimed responsibility or disclosed any of the terms. <laughs> but Sandy Hudson did repay some of the fun, some of the the funds in question. So they say that she's blameless, but it seems kind of weird to be blameless, but also repay you know the the, the pilfered funds in question. So you've got these connections between BLM Canada and and the National BLM Group, and they're you know sending over millions of dollars to help purchase this property just weeks after Patrice Cullors resigned amid scrutiny of her own real estate finances. Uh, so per, real estate purchases. So, right. yeah, um, uh, this organization has a duty to disclose what the heck it's done with this million. It, it, it owes, it owes its supporters an accounting of what it has done with all the, with all the revenue that it got in after, after George Floyd's death. And, it has a, these are these are legal obligations. They are spelled out right. in tax law. They are spelled out in state charitable records law, and that's why they're now getting letters from states saying get into compliance. Right. All right. Well, thank you again to Andrew Kerr of the Washington Examiner for joining us. We will include links to his reporting and his colleagues' reporting on the finances of Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.